Hello, and welcome to the 20th episode of Grumpy Old Gay Men and Their Dogs. My name is Patrick Finn, and I'm sitting here with the gobsmacked Tommy Gibbons. Hey, bitches. Today is day 18 of this calendar year. It's cold when the numbers are low. That's how you can tell with the days of the year. See, I'm right. <laughs> when the numbers are low, it's cold. When the numbers are low and the date, it's cold. And the oh, so it's when cold. it's so when it's going to be January 29th, it's going to be 29. hotter. No, no, or it's still cold. Oh, so I don't understand your Maybe point. Maybe I need then. less specifics. <laughs> Maybe I work okay with just generalities. Oh, okay, I'll stick with the generalities. No, then. don't hurt yourself. How are you, Thomas? We haven't seen you since before the new year. It feels like forever. Yeah, there was something you said in the introduction that I wanted to object to. What was that? I don't remember. That's why my voice is high. Was it the term gobsmacked? No, no, no. I liked gobsmacked. I might even have chuckled. <laughs> you may have. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's been two weeks. I tell you what, though. Yeah. Melanie... Melanie Lipton, yeah, she filled in last week she was as awesome. a special guest. She was the week before last. Yes. Yeah, she Yes, week before oh, last. Oh, I know what it was I wanted to complain about. Whoa, what uh, was that? It's 20th show. Yes, 20th, 20th, show, 20th, 20th, 20th show. show now. Not a fucking balloon, not a piece of glitter, no, not confetti. No, not a it's a very low-budget affair here. For fuck's sake. <laughs> 2020, 20. I'll see if I can get our producer to do something for the 25th. Just... Oh. But he's not here tonight because he's in his own tech week for rehearsals for a play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he plays a dead guy, right? No, no, no. He's one of the suspects. Oh, he's a suspect. Well, yes. I mean, come on. If there's a murder and Stephen is within six degrees of separation, he's a suspect. <laughs> but I'll tell you more about that later. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing anyway, good. Anyway, Mel- Melanie Lipton. You know what the yes. problem with you? Well, no, because, like... The, the birthdays that weekend. Okay. You know, you just jumped from three different topics within ten seconds. Catch up. I'm trying to. Melanie, what was one of the names? Sterling. Sterling? Sterling had a birthday two, two Tuesdays ago. Who's Sterling? I don't know. Fuck, you were the one who asked the question. Oh, you're talking about Never Sterling mind. Holloway. El- anyway, no. Oh, I'm my not. God, that was a while ago. Melanie, you were awesome, girl. Thank you. You did a great job. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because you know, you can't, th- you can't leave these two alone. No, that's for sure. So, they need, uh, yeah, they need an adult. Yes, but she was a wonderful guest. We She's hope to have great. her back no, on again in the future. Great. Yeah, she, awesome. she definitely enjoyed herself. I'm sorry I missed her. Yes, me too. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. My point was that she was not, she was able to, like, she knew Sterling. She right. She knew who Sterling was. And the next guy was even like, oh, Braille. Oh, yeah, Louis Braille. You could have hung me to a cross, yep. and I would never yep. have She was right on top of those. Louis she Braille. got those birthdays right she away. Knew, uh, she, she knew who those people were. Yeah. Yep. So that that must have been really satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, so she was a very good guest. Because, you know, when people like Ernie and Bryce come, and the two of us look at each other, and we're like, oh, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. So it must have been nice. It was, it was nice. I was happy for you. Good. Well, thank you. Yeah. And then last week... You aired the... Uh, we had the outtakes episode. The outtake, the outtake, that single long outtake. Yes, of the We Like to Watch segment yeah. where you and Bryce went on for an hour. Well, yeah, and you got very upset. Well, because you were both... But but this... But this very one, drunk and... 
Yeah. Out of control. Uh, so so if we end at nine fifteen instead of nine oh seven, what's the like like but so? We re- so but it... we recorded three hours that night. Yeah, but that's what's we don't normally record three hours. Why not? <laughs> because we don't have three hours to be here talking like that. No, no well that night we did. I, Obviously, yeah, well, never mind. Because the night started late, and there was a whole oh, that, well, that comedy was, of that, errors. That was my fault too. Yes, we know. We'll yeah, so I'm it. back to bring my particular brand of horror <laughs> uh, to Hudson Street over here in Farmingdale. Well, and welcome back. It's thank good you, to sir. Have you back. I, and I missed you all so much. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. So who who are we petting? Who? We, oh, you, you want to go on to the very first segment right know, away? I'm, huh? I'm very afraid to let time pass without being filled. So. Oh, okay. Oh, well, we didn't really catch up with you. So tell me about how, how it's been. Well, yeah, we had our opening night of this past this past Friday of uh, the play. See how they run. That sounds exciting. And it was excellent. It was, let me ask you a question. Yes. In that show. Yes. Is that Linda Hansen doing all that screaming? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, Linda Hansen was one of the actresses on the cast of the show. One of the. Well, it's a I British farce. Can't say enough about Linda Hansen. Yeah. Yes, no, she's British, wonderful. It's a British farce. Yes, it's a very, very funny play. They scream. I mean, they scream. Yeah, she does most of the screaming in the yeah, play. Yeah. She's okay. like the, the Faye Ray in yeah, the, the audience, cast. the audience was laughing? Yes, they have been. And, well, it was great because the opening night was like, for the actors, it was the first time on stage in two years for many of them. It was also the opening official opening night of the Mammoth Studio Theater in Lindenhurst. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, opening night was really, it was like a, it was almost like a homecoming. There'll be an official opening for or an opening celebration or that has to be the official opening for Manus because nothing was done. There was like no celebration. There was no right. Well, I, open very I know they covered it in the news. It was on Fox News. Oh, they got, it was well, Newsday. On the other hand, they got a lot of coverage for their opening. That, did you see that spot? Yes, Fox I did. News? And that was not like a, a local. Well, it was local. It was a New York, but, but it was but Fox it, News it was in New York. Fox News in New York, which is. Uh, that's a big market. Yeah, I was impressed that they had to, they actually covered it. It yeah, really they was good. They, they it was it was nicely done. But the opening opening the celebration is not supposed to be until March, I think. Okay, they mm. might be waiting for nice weather. That's what I don't blame them. I would wait till then too. Yeah, but um, yeah. So it was it was David was happy. It was yes, good. I know. Yes, it was a very good opening weekend. Yeah, it really it was. was. It was very very happy with it. Okay. Uh, you also missed when we passed another milestone of over 800 downloads of our podcast. I can't believe that. And as of right now, we're at almost 860, not to mention our 330 followers on uh, Facebook and 120 followers on Twitter. Dude, you know what it takes to get 120 followers on Twitter? Like a pulse. Like you have to actually <laughs> have a pulse. You have to be coherent. But I'll tell you this, what I know from Twitter, I love me some Twitter. But I remember... Like, well, I'm, I'm finding now that the more we post on Twitter, that the more traffic we're getting. Oh, so. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter tells you right away. Like, even our website is getting more traffic, which I'm really impressed by. It's all about... You, you got to use Twitter, because Twitter goes by people fast, and you got to... Um, uh, graphic content works well. Yep. Post a picture. Yes, I, I, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Because I'll do, like, a lot of the birthdays or what days it I'll do Yeah, no, no, I see feed. that shit go by, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. I said, I said, we seem to be generating a following from us, so I'm really happy about that. Twitter's awesome. Anyway, we move on to our first segment, Heavy Petting. Heavy Petting. And this is a news story. Actually, I found two news stories, both from Newsweek. This one is about a trend on TikTok of videos of people who are barking 
directly in their dog's faces to see the dog's and reaction. And to see the dog's yeah, reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, have you seen any of these videos? Uh, I have not. I haven't seen hundreds. Okay, I haven't seen those. So, are they? What are they? They're you know? exactly what it sounds like. Okay, you, you know, you get to, you get you and the dog in the frame. Okay, and out of nowhere, you bark at the dog and film the dog's reaction. Okay. Well, normally, what happens is the dog becomes like immediately hyper alert. Uh, and then has a response of either jumping into what he thinks or, or jumping on you. Or yeah. So the dog has that reaction, and it's adorable and cute, and so what? Okay. Well, because Newsweek, I guess, went to ask a few dog experts. They showed them some of the videos, and they said that all you people are doing is confusing the dog. Yeah, yeah. That, well, yeah, that's what you do. Despite you don't, on it. I mean, it might appear to be happy at what you're doing, yeah. but it, it's probably more anxious than happy. It's like teasing your kid. Because guess what? You don't speak dog. You don't know what the hell your bark means to the dog. No. You know? You have no idea. So for all you know, you could be issuing a challenge to your dog or trying to assert authority over the dog. Do you have a, 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 a different accent? What's that? Like a different accent. Like I speak English and some guy from Scotland speak English, but when our two accents meet up, right, we could end up in a fight. Well, probably not. But... <laughs> Never mind. Okay. <laughs> but the important story is, don't bark at your dog. Don't, don't bark at your dog. Okay. You yeah. know, there are, there are other ways to entertain. entertain people with your dog besides confusing your own dog. You know? Dogs have enough anxieties in today's world. Yeah, I agree. I also think that it's... it. I don't see that it, <laughs> it does any long-term harm to the dog. The dog and you have a reaction for a second with each other, and... I know, but how many times are these people filming it and getting the dog to do it right or whatever, getting the right reaction from the dog? Do you think it's wrong to make a dog go through a weave pull on an agility contest? No. Everything else a dog does on an agility contest is something that a dog would confront if it was fending. I mean, that was part of when we were training Abigail. We had her, like, go. I would, like, at one point they had me because we did it at PetSmart, I think. And um, they had me to, like, go to, like, one end of the store and then call for Abigail. And then she had to, like, run through the store and find me. Right. So I, I had no problem with anything like that. Testing their agility, their ability to find people, you know? I don't, I don't consider them tests. I consider them, like, exp, um, expositions. Exercises. They're, they're, they're dogs doing what dogs can do physically. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Are there hunting contests? For, oh, hurt. there are, I bet. And I'm I sure bet there that, are. I bet there are herding contests, because I think I've seen a few of those. Well, yeah, those are called dog fights, and those are illegal. No, herding. Oh, herding. Herd. I think you meant hurting. What the fuck? <laughs> well, with you, anything is possible. No, not that. Oh, well, okay. Excuse me. Line. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think, yeah, yeah, but what the fuck, yeah. Just don't do it. <laughs> we are, we're, uh, I'm not, con- I'm, I'm, I'm not being a grumpy old gay man on this. Stop confusing your dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm going to be grumpy old gay and say, shut the fuck up. <laughs> the dog is fine. Dog, uh, look at uh, you mean that dog laying over there on my sofa? Yeah, he's okay. Our next story concerns a man who owned this German Shepherd since it was a puppy. He named it Willie. But I guess he was getting married. I don't like that word. What? Willie. You don't like it's that? It's a cringy word. Okay. Well, really? well, I'll continue then with this. You'll, okay, uh, you'll uh, see where this is going. I'm so excited. So he was getting married. Uh, I guess his stepson was moving in together with the family. 
uh, and his stepson was allergic to the dog. So the man decided to put it up for adoption, and he went looking for a family, and he met with the family, and they adopted the dog in December. He then found out... That Wait, the, they adopted the dog? What? They went out and found somebody to... No, no, he, he he gave him to the he he found this family, interviewed them, met with them, right? No, no, to take the dog. So, so they, they took right. the dog. So Willie goes away. So Willie goes away, and the former owner finds out that the family changed the dog's name to Rudy, and he went ballistic, and he showed up at the family's house to complain, and the family said, "Please leave, or we're going to file harassment charges against you." He then took to Reddit to complain about this. And everyone on Reddit said, sorry, buddy, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's not your dog anymore. Yeah, that's what you did. But just as a side note to this, I mean, I don't know how old this dog was, whether it was like 13, 15 years old, who knows. But <laughs> you're telling a difference. But it doesn't really matter. A dog can relearn a new name at any age. And as long as dogs are considered property, if I were to sell you if I, if I were to sell you a VCR and then come to your house and complain about the porn on it, that's not how it goes. I know, of course not. I can play exactly. whatever porn I want. And that's just I this guy had no right me. to complain. It wasn't his dog anymore. That's just yeah, yeah. That's I think that's, I mean his his reason was he was concerned the dog would be confused. I but, think it's universal that you give up. These dogs can relearn, you know? Yeah. You can teach an old dog new tricks and a new name. Yeah. And and I don't mean that to be a comfort to you. What's your name? What's his name? Who? The guy who sold the dog. I don't. I don't know his name. Yeah. I don't have his name here in the story. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I think it's best to leave him anonymous. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay. No, he definitely deserves to be anonymous. But you know, that kind of attitude. That's you. You don't understand when you when you have rights and when you give up your rights. And once you had rights, doesn't mean you maintain those rights. Once you give them up voluntarily. Exactly. Karens. I want to see one in the wild. I know, right? Uh, we now move on to our next segment. Well, that was, that was all for Heavy Petty. Heavy Petty. We now move on to your favorite segment, Today's Birthdays. And we got some big ones today. Uh, you seem to be at a loss for words, Thomas. I stole for time. <laughs> our first birthday celebrant is dead. Yay. Born January 18th, 1904 in Bristol, England. Oh, for fuck's sake. He had an unhappy childhood with an alcoholic father and a mother who had clinical depression, resulting because she blamed herself for the death of her of this man's older brother uh, by tuberculous meningitis one day short of his first birthday. She was committed to a mental hospital when this actor was uh, nine years old. <clears throat> his father told him that she went on a long trip and then later said she died. The actor later found out she was still alive when he was 31 years old and arranged for her to leave the institution. Oh, I have no idea. I, I didn't know all that backstory until I did this research. At age 14, he was expelled from school, he, so he joined an acrobatic troupe that he had been previously training with, and he soon began performing on the vaudeville circuit and traveling through the United States. Charlie Chaplin. Nope. In the 1920s, he appeared in plays and musicals in New York City. After appearing in a musical with Faye Ray called Nicky, he appeared in his first film as a sailor in a 10-minute musical called Singapore Sue. I actually watched it. <laughs> That's the extent to which... My commitment is to getting this research right. And the actor was very hammy in it, You'll, and nothing like what we see him in later. 
His first feature film was 1932's This Is The Night, but he rose to prominence in the 1933 film She'd Done Him Wrong, starring Mae West. The film was such a big hit, they starred together later that year in the film I'm No Angel. No, she wasn't. His star rose then with the 1937 film Topper, Oh. And the 1938 film, Bringing Up Baby, opposite Katherine Hepburn. Okay, so so what's funny <laughs> is that I was arranging a response to Topper at the moment that the name popped into my head. What, Katie Hepburn? No. Oh, the actor's name? Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Uh, Shall I tell you more of his movies? No, no. Is Archibald Leach. Yes, I was his birth name, yes. Yeah, Cary Grant. Cary Grant is correct. To think of Cary Grant as a top is hilarious. And they came together in my head (laughs) as I was following the responses. Okay. Just a private giggle I'm sharing. But um, he starred in other films such as Gunga Din. He was a huge star. His Girl Friday, The Philadelphia Story, Arsenic and Old Lace, the Bishop's Wife, Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House, which I saw last year for my first time, good film, and Cherie with, with Audrey movie. Hepburn. What, Mr. Blanding's? Yeah. It was, it's a cute movie. Yeah, she loved that movie. He also starred in a number of Alfred Hitchcock films. My mother probably would have been a great fag hag. Oh. Cary Grant, she, she loved, um, oh God, never mind, continue. Okay. He starred in a number of Alfred Hitchcock films, including Suspicion, To Catch a Thief, and most famously in North by Northwest. Running down that plane. Yep. Well, the plane running down him. Well, running plane. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Okay, Cary Grant running plane. His last film was 1966's Walk, Don't Run, after which he retired to raise his daughter, who was born earlier that year. He was nominated twice for Best Actor Oscar for 1941's Penny Serenade and 1944's None But the Lonely Heart. There was a couple of good years in that. He never won an Oscar, though, no. but he did receive the Academy's Lifetime Achievement Award in 1970. He was an expert at that nondescript mid-Atlantic accent yep. that they all did at the time. Exactly. He was expert. He was a master at it. He was married five times. Of course he was. From 1934 to 35 to Virginia Sherrill, who actually played the blind flower girl in the Charlie Chaplin film City Lights. Okay. From 1942 to 45 to, to heiress Barbara Hutton. Was City Lights a musical? No. Should it not have been? It, it was a silent film. It was a city film. It was a silent film. It was a silent film. It should have been written by Candor and Ed. It was Charlie Chaplin. City Lights. He, it was Charlie Chaplin film. Okay. Did he ever sing Candor in that? Who? No, he would have been too old. Charlie Chaplin. He would have been a great MC. Go ahead, continue. I'm sorry. Okay. Free associating here. Yeah, obviously. Le Beaujolais. His third wife was from 1949 to 62 to actress Betsy Drake. Don't know who that is. He was then married from 1965 to 68 to actress Diane Cannon, with whom he had his only child named Jennifer. Now, hold on. Diane Cannon? Yep. Okay, so is is it that Diane Cannon? Yes, the actress, Diane Cannon, who starred in the film Heaven Can Wait, opposite Charles Grodin. Yeah, okay. She married Cary Grant. She was married to Cary Grant for three years. Who had to be 70 at the time. Uh, He was 19, he was in the 60s. So she had to be 14. She had to be like in her 20s or 30s, I would assume. Yeah, he married young, including his last wife, also was young, from 1981 until his death. was a 
British hotel public relations agent named Barbara Harris. It's always that last wife. He attributed his failures with women to his upbringing and <laughs> and resulting psychological issues. Of course, it's called being gay. So he began Archie. he began treating you were gay. Well, that's a whole other story we'll get to. But in this, he began treatment with LSD in the nineteen fifties. Who didn't? And was using as late as nineteen sixty seven. Okay, so he was okay. So he was really young and really rich. He was really good. He looking. was very. He was one of the richest men in Hollywood when he died. I mean, he's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, back in the fifty, he's 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 doing LSD. Yep. So he's young. He's rich. He's got the time and the money. So he's gonna go do what? I have the. Yeah, I'm gonna. Well, do it wasn't LSD. like he was doing like he wasn't like going to acid parties. I don't think it was like no, that. No, I don't. I, that's not what I meant. I, I, I'm just saying it doesn't seem a surprise that he would experiment with those things, considering his place at the time. Yeah. But he was he was gay. He was gay. Well, that's what we're gonna get to next. He <coughs> he lived on and off with actor Randall Scott for twelve years, beginning in nineteen thirty two. Though rumors of homosexuality persisted, there was never any evidence of it, and Grant's daughter denied it. This I didn't know before. Chevy Chase joked on television in nineteen eighty that Grant was a quote homo. What a gal. He got his ass sued. Grant sued him for slander, and Ch- Chevy was forced to retract his words. Which I don't mind, because Chevy Chase is an asshole. I don't like Chevy Chase. Yeah, he's just an asshole. No, I don't like Chevy Chase. But, um, yeah, but Grant sued him for that. Good. Good. Shut up, Chevy Chase. The fuck? Do you know who I am? I am Cary Grant. Right. And he put in, he put in the dip dot in the bud. No. And uh, he, he was royalty until he died. A whole industry. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Right? You so, know, fuck who you want to fuck. Reveal who you want to reveal. What you want to say nothing. I'm, I support whatever. But fuck you, Jerry Chase. No. Right. That's just wrong. It is wrong. It's bad. But too late. Don't it's like all it. done and over with now. Pay up, bitch. Keep your <laughs> mouth shut. Sit down and keep your mouth shut. So happy birthday, Carrie Grant, wherever you are. Good for you. Our next birthday celebrant, you're not going to know him. I already know you're not going to know him. So let's cut the history. But I talk about him all the time. He was born January 18th, 1932. He was a co-author with Robert Shea in the 1975 novel, The Illuminatus Trilogy. His name is Robert Anton Wilson. No. I didn't think you heard of him. But I love the initials. Well, uh, I'll give you some backstory on him. When he was young, he had polio. Oh. And I guess for whatever reasons, they, I don't know if they didn't have the polio vaccine yet, or if it was, he couldn't take it for whatever reasons. But he didn't take the polio. He used what they call the Sister Kenny method, which I was not familiar with. So I looked up well, why what Sister be? Kenny method was. Sounds and frightening. Actually, it wasn't. What she did became the basis for physical therapy. Okay, Sister Kenny. But at the time when she was doing this, the American Medical Association said it was quackery. I think... And he actually said that he was cured, or at least he improved greatly because of what she did, because of this method. Okay, which which uh, I think that now in hundreds of thousands of hours of physical therapy that are going to happen over the next week, I think when people want to curse and scream, they should just yell her name. <laughs> Sister Carrie! Sister Carrie, you! Sister Carrie! Uh, Kenny. Kenny! <laughs> yeah. yeah. In honor of her birthday. But anyway, that kind of like, I think. How old is she? She's dead now. Oh. Yeah. Oh, then why? Okay. 
But I bring that up because I think this affected his whole outlook on life. He's not what you would call conventional in any sense of the word. Okay. He became a big proponent of what the religion is known as Discordianism, which is a sort of pseudo-religion that's based on the worship of Eris or Discordia, the goddess of strife or chaos. Okay. Um, Makes as much sense as anything else. Which became popularized through a lot of the books that he wrote. He wrote over 35 books. Uh, among them were the, uh, uh, co- uh, Cosmic Trigger. What's his name? Robert Anton Wilson. Raw. Raw. Basically, he said that he's talking about Discordianism, that centered on the idea that order and disorder are illusions imposed on the universe by the human nervous system, and that neither of these illusions of apparent order and disorder is any more accurate or objectively true than the other. Wilson described his work as an attempt to break down conditioned associations to look at the world in a new way, with many models recognized as models or maps, and no one model elevated to the truth. He wanted to get people to into a state of generalized <clears throat> agnosticism, not just about God, but about everything. He believed in what they called is maybe logic. Yeah, I like it. I like it. When I first grunted mm-hmm. that you barreled over so as not to hear what might have been a question, um, <laughs> I was thinking maps about how, like, now you see with the interwebs, you see that. And right. Relative size, if the maps were correct, and how skewed it all is. At first, I was thinking, well, yeah, dope. You could, you know, nature doesn't make the straight line garden pathways up to your door, so it's all imposed. Right. Uh, by by you know what we need to see, he I, I, I like he's it. he's he's a big proponent of um, what they call E prime or a, a neural linguistic program, programming. He was also a big advocate of jury nullification, in which he said a jury had the right to nullify a law that they deemed unjust. A jury could do that. Yep, he actually he was a big proponent of the okay. whole movement are centered around that on the spot. He criticized scientific types who were as extremist gets right down as religious right. fundamentalists. He thought, belief, his saying was, belief is the death of intelligence. I agree with that. Yep. And that's about all I can tell you about him. Just go read his books. His books are wonderful. The Luminous Trilogy is great fiction. It's a satire about conspiracies. Raw. Raw is his initials. He has a website. Actually, it's W-A-R... W, I'm sorry, it's www.raw.com. Ilson, I-L-S-O-N dot com. Rawson. Raw Ilson. Raw Ilson. Raw Ilson. <laughs> that might be a good one. Well, no, but good. yeah, I definitely recommend his book, especially Cosmic Trigger. It's a great, it's a great he? memoir. He's dead now. He's dead? Yeah. He died in um, 2007. Oh, a long time. Yeah. Then our last birthday. Wow. Yes, our last oh, one. Right? Oh, can you believe it? Okay. Let's this one's living. Oh, there's somebody alive. Born January 18th, 1960. Oh, fuck. Born in England, but his family moved to the U.S. in 1962. Was Raw gay? No, he was married, had kids. England? He, he went back to England in 1978, where he trained at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. He made his professional debut in 1980 with the Glasgow Citizens Theatre. In 1995, he became the first artistic director of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre title which he held until 2005. He acted and directed in every season, including an all-male production of Twelfth Night, in which he played Olivia. Oh, I bet he was lovely. He won two Best Actor in a Play Tonys. 
One for 2008's Boeing Boeing. Boeing Boeing. And also in 2011's Jerusalem. He also won Best Featured Actor for 2014's Twelfth Night. He also won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for 2015's Bridge of Spies. He was last seen playing William Kunstler in the Aaron Sorkin scripted drama of The Trial of the Chicago 7. And he was last seen on the Broadway stage in 2018 uh, in Farinelli and the King, for which he received his fifth Tony nomination. You don't know who it is? I know. I wanted to hear the whole resume. Oh, well, that's not the whole resume. No, uh, because there's shit that, it's, I, there's yeah, shit that I missed. I, stuff I left out, I yeah, had to. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance is the man. One of my favorite actors He's of all time. amazing. After seeing him live in Jerusalem, oh, I just, I cannot sing this man's praises enough. Yeah. Incredible actor. Yeah. He really is. Right? Truly, like, uh, art. You know, to him, it's a serious... Uh, yeah, it I'm is. I'm hesitating because I don't want to, like, say that, I, that not all of them think of it the way he does. No, but he's just... But his whole don't. life is just been... It's so almost, dedicated. It's almost scary. It's like yeah. it's like Brando or to go to that extreme. We now move on to what day is it? Today is 38. No, 18. Day is 18. That's what day Today is. is also Winnie the Pooh Day. I love Winnie the Pooh. In honor of author A.A. A. Milne's birthday, who was born in 1882. Okay. So today is Winnie the Pooh Day. I have very few memories of the really young days. Lucky you, right? <laughs> I remember. Was the wheel invented then? <laughs> all I ever wanted. I'm sorry. Didn't you just recently celebrate a birthday? Yes, I did. In the absence. <laughs> 60th, yes. Yeah, yes. 60th, yes. Yes. Okay, I just wanted to put that out there so that Thank you. it's vibrating in the world. So that you remind people that I am older than you. Considerably <laughs> older than me. You are in another decade Older than yes, me. but I look hotter than you, <laughs> <laughs> which is not hard. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to stop and pay attention to something that I now don't remember what it was. Well, I'm going to move on to the other day of what day it no, is. No, go back one. Well, we were at Winnie the Pooh day. Okay, 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 oh, okay, okay. okay. up now. Okay. All I wanted. I remember the Christmas that all I wanted was a sit down Winnie the Pooh. Okay, and you you didn't get it? I absolutely did. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good memory. Um, I had that sit down. It had to be a sit down. I was very, it was very specific. It was sit down with with the red sweater. Yeah, that Winnie the Pooh was uh, important. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like that. He was a childhood figure. I you carried know? that around. Yeah, so Winnie the Pooh. I have never been to Disney, but I imagine myself the first time I see Winnie the Pooh. And it's a sloppy, messy sort of <laughs> teenage girl. Your inner child will come bawling out. Oh, it may be, you know, everything that I need. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, no. So, yeah, I wanted to put the... the uh, I wanted to shout out Winnie. Okay. Shout Winnie, out to Winnie on Winnie the Pooh Day. Winnie the Pooh Day. Goofy Winnie. Today is also National Thesaurus Day. Oh. It is in honor of the birthday of... Peter Mark Roger, born 1779, invented the who's the author of Roger's Thesaurus, first published in 1852. Wow. That first edition had 15,000 words in it. 
The eighth and most oh. recent edition has over 443,000 words in it. There's only eight editions? Yep. Only eight editions. And the word thesaurus is derived from the Greek, meaning treasure or treasury. Short arms, big mouth. <laughs> treasure and treasury? Yes. Thesaurus. And prior to Roger, the word was just used to refer to any dictionary or encyclopedia. The problem is Roger. What's the problem with Roger? Cheap champagne. I don't think he was responsible for the champagne. No, and I don't think he's responsible for his name. I bear full responsibility for this entire debacle. Okay. I can't get the thought of cheap champagne out of my head every time I hear the word Roger. So I really wanted him to be Rogan. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it's a thesaurus. We should be able to use an alternate word. Rogan. Rogan. <laughs> Rogan's thesaurus. That'll be the synonym for Roger. Roger. Rogan's thesaurus. <laughs> we now move on to our next segment, where we take a look into my briefs. <laughs> our first story comes from Syracuse, New York. That's right up there. Mm-hmm. 17-year-old senior Tyler Johnson uh -oh. of Tully High School was to be featured as one of two students, seniors, highlighted in the school newspaper's Senior Spotlight series. But he was gay. The paper sent him several questions to answer, including one that asked about the biggest challenge he's had to overcome. Which was being gay. His response was, the biggest challenge I faced was growing up gay and coming out. I had to learn to be comfortable in my own skin and how to stay strong through bullying and all the negative experiences I had while trying to gap navigate through life. Which for him was a show and a sign of strength. And what happened to him? Well, after he submitted his responses to the newspaper, he stopped in the hallway by the principal named Mike Gallagher. In the hallway of school. Yeah, and told, to, and told to come to his office. Told to come visit. Yep. Okay. He was told that he had to rewrite his response to that question because the school policy prohibits any references to sexuality, orientation, religion, or illegal drugs in oh. the senior spotlight. Okay. Johnson responded that he'd rather withdraw his entire responses rather than change his answer. Because that's what a bitch does. A bitch well, says, you it, know why not the way I wrote it? Fuck you, I'm taking it back. He then told his mother, and his mother called the principal, and again he stated it was against school policy. And what did the mother do? Well, according to the mother and the student, this policy was bullshit. That O'Brien had actually called the district superintendent to ask him how he could get away with removing Johnson's answers about being gay and battling depression stemming from years of being bullied. The superintendent suggested they invented one, according to the mother. So not only was this wrong, but it could be illegal and a violation of both New York State education law as well as well as federal civil rights law. Well, it should be against both of those laws, because those two things are set up to prevent shit like this. Mm -hmm. In response to community outcry, the superintendent had to call an emergency meeting of the school board. And in a letter released prior to the meeting, he stated... Clearly, as a school district, we have to do a better job of supporting our LGBTQIA plus students. I bet it took him 15 minutes to memorize that. Right? I have room to grow in this area as well. I am committed to growing in this area and taking the necessary steps, steps to forge substantial, enduring changes. I am looking forward to having the districts and communities support in accomplishing this goal. He promised there would be a full accounting of the principal's actions. He and, said all the right things. Yep. And Johnson is slated to go to Oswego State College when he graduates. 
Oswego. Oswego. I, I think that's. Uh, I think. I think everybody except the original story behaved correctly. The superintendent sounded sincere, and uh, you know. Yeah, the principal fucked up. The principal fucked up. Uh, it's like in this day and age, if you do, if you think that students can't handle talk about bullying, or I tell you what though, there are, there are certain times when being I have, gay. I mean, come on. I have censored certain things because of certain people that I worked with, certain people, things that would not offend me. Right. So I tend to give this principal guy the first benefit of the doubt, which is he's probably hyper aware, being the principal of a building full of teenagers that he's got to be, there's going to be something, the most vocal person going to come down on him for letting this be printed is the people who don't want it printed. He's not going to get praise for it. He's going to get people complain. Then he might get praise. Well, he actually got, it seems like there's been more criticism about him pulling it than about allowing it to go. What I'm saying is the most offended person screams the loudest. I know. So the religious right would have come down on him for doing this thing at all, and it still he got, would have been a violation of the First got, Amendment. It's it's. A, I mean, I went to a school, Farmingdale. A case, a Supreme Court case, arose from my high school before I went there. I think it was in the early seventies. The school newspaper printed this whole storyline about abortion, and the school confiscated the newspaper. Oh dear! And. Say, and I think, from what I understand, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, you violated the student's First Amendment right. That's So that's, hold on, Farmingdale High School. Yep. Followed an abortion issue. Yeah, it printed a whole, printed I don't know if they printed it. a whole supplement, a whole, it was devoted to the issue of abortion, of abortion. I guess. Okay. Was it, did it, not that it matters, just out of personal curiosity, did it take a stand one way or the other? I don't know. I think it was supposed to be more informational okay. than anything else. Okay, what it is, how to do it, who needs it done. What's oh. the status of the law and everything. Uh, exactly, where do you live? And Okay, so that was... My hesitation stems from not knowing exactly where a student's rights end. Well, students' rights are limited in a school context. They don't have absolute... Um, the absolute First Amendment rights that a an adult has, and we don't even have absolute adult First Amendment rights. Right. They all have limits on them somehow. And then kids are, it's such a it's such a high a high stress, and teenagers. Of course, not easy being a teenager. Never is. Never was. And and it's uh, it's for for a whole lot of them. There's no worse place than school. So I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Uh, I, I, I would I would I would tend to, to to think that the principal acted out of thinking he was being proactive. Okay. Instead of immediately jumping to the fact that he himself is a homophobic, should be burnt at the stake. Right. Until you know we we check back a, a month or two on his. Exactly. See, see, you know. I know. That's his business anyway. What the fuck do I care? <laughs> My wine is empty. Anyway, moving on to our next case. The Supreme Court this past Friday agreed oh. to hear an appeal from a former high school coach, a football coach, who said his First Amendment rights were violated when he lost his job after kneeling at the 50-yard line in prayer. The case involves football coach Joseph Kennedy, a practice for Christian whose religious beliefs 
require him to give thanks through prayer at the end of each game. Tell me where we are. I don't know where that says that in the Bible anywhere, that you have to give thanks after a football game. I don't know what his church is. (laughs) What's interesting is, now you have me off on two tangents. One was a question about where we are. The other one was, because this is going to be the one that skips my head, um, uh, not all Christian belief systems. Right. You... uh, are so strict about the Bible. Well, exactly. This is this his particular church. Would he have reason? That's what I'm saying. So whatever yeah. the preacher says. On and Sunday. I don't know. I don't know offhand what state. Oh, I'm sorry. It's in Washington State. Washington State. Washington. Washington State. So anyway, when he began his job as an assistant coach at Bremerton High School, which is a public school, he initially prayed alone after games. But over time, some of his players and eventually a majority of the team joined him. Some parents complained to the school that their sons, who were players on the team, felt that they had to join in the prayer or face a loss of playing time. So the school district ordered Kennedy to stop praying so that the district did not violate the Constitution's Establishment Clause, which prohibits the government from favoring one religion over another. Kennedy announced he would not comply, which prompted a large gathering to join him at the 50-yard line after a game in October 15 as a show of support. So then a school tried to accommodate Kennedy by giving him a private space, I think it was the press box, at the football field, or allowing him to pray on the field after the crowd had left the stadium. But Kennedy, through his lawyers, declined those offers, and after Kennedy uh, prayed on the field after two more games, the school district placed him on paid administrative leave. I see two problems here. Adults acting as you can't tell me what to do, no, 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 blah, 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 meaner, meaner, meaner. And a union that is almost too strong to allow him to be fired, if only for that behavior. Right. I'm sure they're going to be arguing that it's it's a violation of the free exercise clause. It clearly is. Of the First Amendment. When I'm, what, what, I was thinking, why don't they just meet at Denny's in 15 minutes? And we'll pray outside, or we'll pray, or you know what? Let's go down to church. There's got to be six or eight of them. <laughs> Well, it didn't happen that way. He ended up suing in federal district court. No, because he was able to do this. And the district court ruled against the coach. Good. Saying that the sole reason the school district restricted him from praying was to avoid a violation of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. And then a panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit upheld that decision. And I guess in the arguments, the school argued that this dispute is all about a school district's authority to protect students when his employee does not work with it to find a reasonable accommodation. Whereas Kennedy's arguing that the school violated his rights uh, under the free exercise clause, that his, br- his quote-unquote brief, quiet prayer was private speech and not part of his job. But it should be private then. It should be private then. You don't, Why do you need to do a public display at the 50-yard line? Of your private... Because I'm sorry, private. if I'm an adult sitting out there in a stadium... And I see the game's over, but there's this big crowd gathering at the 50-yard line for this prayer thing. I'm going to think that's part of the whole game. Oh, uh, no, I don't care. And that's part of the public school's program. That's where I care. Yeah. Because what's going to happen then when some Muslim coach decides, oh, I need to pray to uh, to, Mecca after the uh, the religion, after the game? I need a timeout, and can somebody point me towards Mecca? I mean, and the school did try to accommodate him. You know, yeah. they did try to accommodate and it's, him. And it's not like it's even a after-school club, juniors for No, Jesus. it's right after a school football game, you know? 
I think but, but the, unfortunately, with the Supreme Court, they've been ruling more and more in favor yeah, of people exercising yeah. their freedom of religion. So we're we don't know how, we don't know what's going to happen with this one. I I think it's going to bite itself in the ass. That's right. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be it's not going to be a good decision. No, it's a terrible decision. It's not going to be a good decision. Um, no, it, yeah, you can count on that. Yeah, because there hasn't been much come out of this court so, this so far that I liked. No, there hasn't been a whole lot. <laughs> there hasn't been a whole lot. Those two women, that Sonia and. Uh, well, you heard about the report that came out today. I forget who reported it. They did this whole article. I think it was NPR did an article on the Supreme Court and how Justice Gorsuch will not wear a mask at court sessions. And because of that, Justice Sotomayor, who sits right next to him and has diabetes, which puts her at high risk if she should contact contract COVID. And even if she was She's home. now reforced three basically preside over court remotely from her office because he's the only one who won't wear a mask it's like wow what a dick i mean i heard he was a dick when he first got on the court he was a real asshole and some of the justices were kind of turned off by him but yeah, yeah he's he's a dick what a well, dick I'm thing sure to do that, i'm sure that they have their own their own thing like their own traditions how they treat each other who how, you know what well that was it when Gorsuch joined the bench he was the youngest member Exactly. And as the youngest member, the the he left. had certain duties he had to perform, I think, right. like cleaning up after the meetings or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he wasn't doing these things, from what I understand. He was kind of he resisting it. He was kind of resisting it, yeah. So, yeah, he's just, yeah. And he comes from a place, it seems to me, I don't know. Is he is he top-end educated? Oh, of course he is, yeah. Where you would face sorts of hazing. When you join these brothers, brotherhoods, you know, because that's what it is. Because don't tell me that the Supreme Court building don't have a staff going to come in and clean up after everything they do. That you have to have a judge collecting, you know. I know. Well, I don't think it's. I don't think it's anything like that. But there, like, there are certain traditions where the youngest member that is he's supposed to perform them. Yes, and I. I and he, from what I understand, he was resisting. He that. was resistant to that. Well, probably like you get to do the ugliest briefs, you know, the things we don't want to do. Yeah. Anyway, we now move on to a new segment. We're going to have several new segments. We're going to be interchanging with some of the old ones. A new segment? But this is a new segment. Okay, I'm braced. It's called Turn Your Head and Cough. Oh. Can you imagine what this segment's about? Oh, uh, I have an 11 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> a uh, doctor's appointment? Yeah. Well, yes, it's about health-related issues. Oh, Patrick. <laughs> All right. But of course, the, the big health issue, of course, right now is COVID. COVID. So that's what my two stories are going to be about. Of course, the first one is about the recent Supreme Court decision on the mask mandates. Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, by a five to four decision, the Supreme Court allowed the mandate issued by the Department of Health and Human Services, which mandated that healthcare workers get vaccinated. But by three, six to three, it ruled against the office of. It's called OSHA. I can't. Think, I can't remember what the the abbreviation is for. Let's go look it up right now. Office. It's, it's office health. of. Uh, and it's something. Yeah, I. Uh, OSHA. OSHA. O S H A. 
Here we Official go. Official Society the for Occupational Hate. Safety and Health Administration. Occupational Safety and Health. So it basically ruled against that agency's vaccine mandate for businesses. You can't do that. Well, the thing is, what's going on, the ruling is weird because what they said was that because the coronavirus is not an exclusively workplace hazard, OSHA had no power to issue a mandate concerning vaccinations or mask wearing or anything like that. What? It's narrow to me, no? What do you mean narrow? Like, like it's kind of specific. Yeah, and it's like everyone's saying, what are you talking about only in the workplace? There are other hazards that occur elsewhere that also occur in the workplace, and yet OSHA regulates them. Right, right. But a big problem is, is that this conservative majority in this court, right. they're of the philosophy that right. is against the administrative state. Uh, yeah, they do not like administrative agencies. No regulation. They think that uh, Congress made an unconstitutional, unconstitutional delegation when it set up all these federal agencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so everyone sees this decision as being a blow against the administrative state for what they're doing here. Well, yeah, it, it, it clearly is. Taking the case. I mean, proves- OSHA, but OSHA, I mean, first of all, it's a small agency to begin with. There are approximately 2,400 inspectors covering more than 8 million workplaces where 130 million workers are employed. According to a report issued by the AFL-CIO, it would take OSHA 129 years to inspect all the workplaces under its jurisdiction. So it's a small, it doesn't, even when they issue penalties, they're relatively weak penalties. The bully picking on the nerd. And, and they we spend millions of dollars on them. I'm sorry, because I saw this today about uh, the doctor, the little cute Italian doctor. God, my God, Fauci. Fauci. About uh, he had he has Chinese interests. Oh, that's not true. Well, no, it is true. What, what do you mean he has Chinese? What does that mean? He has okay, Chinese he, interests. He, he's, he's making money in China. How is he making money in China? By having an investment in some sort of investment group that is beyond my financial understanding that gets... so. so Where did you hear this from? Oh, my God. Stop getting so defensive. I'm, no, and, because you tell me something like this, and it's like... Where did you get this information from? I, I don't because know. I, when people say, oh, well, I read it on the internet, then I'm just like, fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so tell me now that you're not having an emotional response. I'm not having... It's just... Fauci, China. Okay, 10 hours ago, this was revealed. Okay, it says here... Okay, it says, Dr. Fauci and his spouse made $2 million during 2020. Uh, significant amount of these investments are in China and Hong Kong. Newsweek review of the documents Fauci supplied to Marshall showed only one connection to China through the Matthews Pacific Tiger Fund run by California-based investment firm Matthews Asia. According to the company's third quarter report, 42% of the fund traded in China Hong Kong stock included household names Tencent and Alibaba. I don't know what any of this means. It's he's he's part of an investment group. Wow. So what? Okay, so this is this was my point. Okay. What they can come up with him and his wife making is two million dollars. So what? And to me, oh that he made that two million and not that. He made it two million dollars and he made it in twenty twenty. Or between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. Yeah. And my point is for two million dollars. 
you got to be kidding me. Okay, you you got to be kidding me because you can't be offended over two fucking million dollars. You got to be fucking kidding me. And the other thing is, did anybody work harder in 2020 than, than Dr. fucking Fauci? This is, they're going to use this against him. Of course, oh, of course they're going to use it against him. But it's because a bullshit anyone, thing. Because anyone, we all have people who have 401ks, exactly. investment funds. Most of us do not keep daily track and are on our phones or our brokers saying, oh, buy this, buy this, sell that, sell. No, most of us are just letting it roll there and we get our quarterly reports on what's going on. And that's it. It's a group fund, and the, and you pay some guy to manage it, and he makes too much money, and he makes investments, and he's the guy who, in name of the group, goes out and does all this for you. Oh my God! So this is not, not going to say, oh, now he profited off the pandemic. That's going to be the that's, that's going to be the exactly tagline right. now. That's, that's exactly be right. The that was how we led into this. That just makes me sick because this is. This is what we're going to be getting into in our next segment, but let's finish this segment first. We're still looking at the briefs? Uh, we're still at uh, turn, no, we're on Turn Your Head and Cough. Oh. Uh, our next story concerns cannabis and COVID. Oh. This is a story I found on Salon.com. Oh. According to a peer-reviewed paper published last week in the Journal of Natural Products, oh. at least three compounds naturally occurring in the cannabis plant were shown in lab tests to be effective at stopping coronavirus molecules from entering human cells. The mechanism effectively mimics the activity of antibodies, with the cannabis compounds attaching themselves to the virus's spike protein. They get the protein high, and what does the motherfucking protein do when it's high? (laughs) Well, before everyone starts... Goes and eats carbs. Before everyone starts lighting up... Thinking, all right, this is going to protect me from COVID. L- like, Start lighting up. If you have it lit up already, where have you been? Oh, well, yeah, it's a whole other story. But come on. The compounds are THC-A. I love her. Which is different from the regular THC, which is psychoactive. I think there's like 12 THCs. There's also CBD-A and CBG-A. I'm a big fan. These are the compounds they're talking about. But they said... These compounds degrade at high temperatures. Okay. Which means smoking them or baking them is the less than ideal way to okay. get the benefit. Okay. Pills, cannabis pills, or gummies, gummies are better. Gummies, gummies, gummies. But also... I have to get used to that high. Two of the compounds can also be found in over-the-counter hemp products. Oh, my God. You've been holding... You waited till now? <laughs> but... This is all new research. It's only one study and it you know, occurred in a lab. Actu- you're actually wagging your finger. Yes, I am. You're like Churchill. <laughs> I'm sorry. I missed most of that. But like I said, this is only in one lab test. You know, they have to do more studying of this. And also they're advising people, hey, we don't know what the correct doses are for cannabis products or names. hemp products. So we're not going to advise you to take any of this until further research is done product into names. proper dosage. Product name. I don't have any product. Just hemp products. You said over the counter. Over the counter hemp products. Over the see, I so you my you said over the counter. My head exploded and I missed hemp products while the explosion was going on. So give me a second. <laughs> okay. I'm done. Can continue. I really can't wait till February. I don't like that guy. Oh, okay. I really can't wait. I, I don't. Like He's it. talking about my husband's calendar. Yeah, which have been beautiful. But I don't like this month. Okay. I'll, let's, I'll let the producer know. Yeah, I don't like it. We now move on to our next new segment called 
This week in fascism. Why don't you just... <laughs> <laughs> okay, this week in fas- fascism. Fascism. All right. Okay. I figured it's important... <laughs> It's an important segment to have. And it changes day to day. <laughs> so let's cover a large... Okay, this week This in week fascism. in fascism. All right. I figure it's an important enough issue because fascism is slowly... It's a funny sentence. ...making its way across our government. Uh, yes. Our, you know? And, and beyond, beyond the generalized theater of that, there's the specific comedy of the, the sentence... This week in fascism. I, exactly. It's like, hey, it's this week in fascism. This should be our first <laughs> animated spot. <laughs> Colin, Bobby. Anyway, what I'm going to be talking about are a lot of instances of news stories or events that have occurred which qualify as being fascistic. Fascistic? Well, I'm going to get into this week's events in fascism because one just happened today. But this past Saturday, uh, our 45th former president. The office of the 45th president. Yes. He, you know, he who must not be named. Okay. He had a rally in Florence, Arizona on Saturday. I want to name him, though. And he made a speech there. And among other things, of course, he brought up the whole election fraud, the cheating, which is the usual stuff he brings up. But then he brought up a whole new one. I love this. He said, The left is now rationing life-saving therapeutics based on race, discriminating against and denigrating white people to determine who lives and who dies. If you're white, you don't get the vaccine. Or if you're white, you don't get therapeutics. In New York State, if you're white, you have to go to the back of the line to get medical health. I love to get medical health. Now, Hi, sweetie. As residents of the state of New York, as White residents of the state of New York, we yeah. can tell people that none of that is true. That's not how it works. <laughs> no, it's not. White people have equal access to getting the vaccine as everyone else does here and, in New York. And I, I will go out on a limb and say that white people have it really easy to go out really easy. Now, really but there easy. is one thing. They think that Trump... Bleh, was distorting a New York State policy. I don't mind the, the that allows. At the end. Okay, but it allows New York State policy allows for race to be a consideration when dispensing oral antiviral treatment treatments, which are in limited supply. Why? And because there, the policy wants to give those treatments to people who are at most risk and people of color because of their long-standing health and social inequities. Are more likely to get ill or die from the virus. So, so let me ask you a question. Yes, because this is shit I don't know anything about. Okay. Okay. Insurance. Mm-hmm. The highest risk. Okay. Okay. So it's it's it has nothing to do necessarily with. It's not judged on race. No. It's judged on things like location and relative. It's just one of a number of factors you're deciding on, on who to dispense these. These antiviral treatments, too, and because they, need, they are limited in supply right now. They need to go to the person who's most in need. To the people who are most likely to get sick and end up in a hospital. Okay. You know? And, and the hospitals are already overloaded as it is, as we, as we keep hearing. Uh, has any government agency identified such a population? What do you mean? Yes, <laughs> people of color. <laughs> okay. People of color. That's what they're talking about. So that's why he's saying that whites are being excluded or they're being sent to the back of the line. And all that is bullshit. Because I didn't go But it appeals, eyes. but this appeals to his base by inflaming racial tensions, by raising up 
the Democrats and the black people are doing this to you white people. Okay, so so I'm going to... This my, is all part of the fascist propaganda movement. Uh, oh, it's an excellent example. It's an excellent example. That's why I brought it up. Uh, my next... Of course, because you're nothing but excellent. I, oh, stop. My last, my last healthcare experience until tomorrow yeah. was getting the booster. Okay. Okay, so this was the extent of my experience. Oh, great. I was pissed because I had to register online and couldn't get it that day. Okay. I walked in cold to CVS. Can I get the booster? No, you got to register. I'm sorry, yeah. what? Yeah. No, you have to register. Oh, okay. Yeah. We and so I went and I registered. We all had to register. Yeah, we all did. Uh, I went and I registered online. I waited the two days or whatever the fuck it was till I got there. It wasn't a week. Um, I waited a couple of minutes. I had to fill out, but you always have to fill out. I waited a couple of minutes. Uh, then I got the shot and then I, they asked me to wait 10 minutes sitting in the store, Okay, which I rolled my eyes probably every two minutes. Okay. Okay. So that was my last healthcare experience. I was not sent to the back of the line. I did not wait in the large overcrowded, sweaty wedding room, uh, waiting room. Nobody looked at me and said, excuse me, does your skin match this piece of paper? If so, you need to go to the back of the line. There, I, uh, in any way, was this middle-aged white man discriminated against when he went to get health care in the state of yeah, New York? Yeah, of course not. At his local fucking CVS, quarter mile down the road. Right. I know. But... Now, I have access to the CVS quarter mile down the road. Okay. When you start to, when you start getting further and further away from the CVS, like these people who live in Fuck My Ass, Texas, or, you know, Jizz on the Arkansas, where, is, where are they going? I know. Where is their healthcare system? I hate him. Trump blood. Yeah. Blood. Trump blood. <laughs> anyway, we move on to our next story in This Week in Fascism. This occurred today. Oh, Again today? Florida <laughs> Governor oh, here we go. Ron DeSantis has proposed a new Office of Election Crime and Integrity. Ah! It would be composed of 52 investigators with a budget of $6 million, Again. and they would answer directly to the governor. This new office would be larger than some city and county police investigation Florida forces in Florida. This office would have a broad mandate to investigate any alleged election law violations and quote-unquote irregularities. And which they're going to do for $6 million? That's what they're saying. Of course, right now, all prosecutors in Florida already have the authority to investigate and pursue election-related crimes. But the census proposal would allow this new office to take control of any local investigation. <laughs> so we're talking about a state where... 18.1 million people voted in 2020. There were 262 election fraud complaints, 75 of which were referred to law enforcement. And do we have a accurate or even... That was, that was all in Florida. No, what I'm saying is with those late statistics that you just read. Yes. Don't you laugh at me about the way I just stumbled over that word, you bitches. I hear you up there. I hear you, Michelle. You're laughing at me. I hear you. Fucking Colin. <laughs> The do we have a statistic, bitches, that tells us how how much influence those seventy five cases of clear election fraud had on the outcome of the election? Insignificant, insignificant. That's been the findings in other like in Arizona where they had that farce of a recount. And you know what I can't believe, and you know what they found? There was no fraud. This is 
That's it for this week in this week in fascism. Way to leave me hanging there this weekend. I don't like. Yeah, way to leave. I, although I can't imagine I'm going to ever feel better exiting a segment called this week in fascism. Well, Did we I now move on to another is? new segment. Three new segments in a row. Yep. You really works. weren't happy with the format. <laughs> I got to try new things. I'm all for you. New things led me to all of this. This new segment actually was the basis or the reason why this whole podcast came together. Oh, uh, here we finally it's got Sheila you. has a question. I can't wait for this. Well, she submitted two questions to us. Okay. The first one is a doozy. Uh, tell me. Is the purpose of critical race theory to add the contribution of people of color to American history or to point out the wrongs of a particular race parentheses, mostly the white race, close parentheses, against other races. Okay, can I answer, can I answer that gut from the gut? <laughs> from the gut you can, yeah. My hope is that critical race theory does neither of those things and instead says this is what happened, this is who these people were, this is who these people were, this is what they did, this is what happened. Okay, and that's it. This is what, I mean, there's no opinion there's no moral judgment, no code. Critical research should be, this is exactly what what everybody did and how it happened. And not pro- thusly proving that the white man is, or thusly proving that the black man, it should be a completely objective analysis of who did what. And as far as I know, otherwise known as history. Okay. Well, let me... Ex- I. Th- I figured it would be best to actually research what exactly critical, critical race, race theory, theory is. is. Because everyone well, in the media, this. Everyone the media is told what this is and what it isn't. And I try my best to do some research. What so did you go- find out? I'm going to try my best to explain it. Oh, wait, well, hold on a second. But, it's good because this is going to be faster to tell you what I know about it. Okay. It's not taught in any high school in America. No, it's not. And That's one of the it, things. It's, this is primarily taught in, I can tell you, it's over 200 universities across the country. In basically college and law school. First year law school. Did you study it? No. They didn't have, they didn't have this kind of a course. When I was in law school. Okay, because, you know, why? Because there were no artists to put all of the needed things on the wall, paint on the wall. What are they called? Hieroglyphics. <laughs> Takes too much critical race theory. It's like 16 hieroglyphics. Shut you know, the fuck up. You know how many things I got to draw to put across with critical race theory? All right, so go ahead. So, what is it? Critical race theory is an academic discipline that is over 40 years old. It is generally based on these five tenets or ideas. The first one is that race is a social construct, not biologically natural, and was created and maintained by the dominant groups to justify their oppression and exploitation of other groups. The second tenet is, racism in the United States is normal, not aberrational. Most people of color continue to be routinely discriminated against or unfairly treated in both the private and public spheres as demonstrated by Numerous social indicators. <laughs> Swing a cat, in other words. The idea of interest convergence, which states that the legal advances or setbacks for people of color occur when it tends to serve the interests of dominant white groups. Okay. The fourth one is called, it says that no individual can be adequately identified by membership in a single group. So I'm sorry. Say that again. My mind got... Got distracted by the fact that there were no balloons. Okay. No individual can be adequately adequately identified by membership in a single group. 
Okay. So in other words, I'm not just a gay man. I'm a gay white man. I'm a gay white cisgender man. You like know, gay white Irish and a partridge in a pear tree. Right. The next is the idea of storytelling. It says that members of minority groups periodically undergo what they call differential racialization, which is the <laughs> attribution to the to the group of varying sets of negative stereotypes depending on the needs or the interests of the whites. Which is fancy way of saying we fucked over the Native Americans when we got Well, it says, like, for example, slaves before the Civil War were depicted as childlike and docile. After the war, black women were depicted as the wise, caring mammy. And black men were portrayed as brutal animals who were dangerous to women and children. Especially your white women. During the 20s and the Harlem Renaissance, blacks were depicted as musically talented and entertaining. And they smoked the marijuana. And then after World War II and the rise of the Civil Rights Movement, they were then depicted as street smart, cocky, and militant, and as well as super studs. Super studs, right. Yep. They're, fuck you. And then in the 70s, you had the lazy welfare queen. Right, right, right. In the and, 80s, and you, had the, you had the black man who is the cardigan-wearing sitcom character. Well. And in the 90s, you had the imprisoned crack addict. Well, you didn't just have Bill Cosby in the 80s. No, but that was the primary image that was being promoted at the time of black people. Like, see, we're just like white people. Well, no, no, no. We're no. just like middle-class white people. Okay, I'm going to throw up a flag here. I think that was the way, I can't, no, I don't remember what it's called, bad liberal, bad liberal, when black, oh, code switching. Code switching. Okay, so I think that was that was popular culture getting code switched. Yes. Okay, I think the 80s is... Marijuana, again, because I said it at the end of And crack. Well, crack, yes. That's what I talked about. Okay. Uh, but that's but, what they mean by this by this differential raci- uh, racialization. What was the phrase? Yes, that was it. Differential ra- racialization. Okay. So to counter this, this led to the idea that people of color are uniquely qualified to speak on behalf of other members of their group regarding the forms and effects of racism. Because they're all the same. And therefore, the self-expressed views of the victims of racism should provide essential insight into the nature of our legal system. The important thing is, this would never be taught in a high school. No. 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 This would never be taught in a high school. It would never be taught at any level of elementary school, anything like that. No. Now, the problem is, is because schools do have programs that do highlight different ethnic groups, which yeah. are promoting them and stuff. Muslim week. And now they're afraid, well, is this going to be subject, is this going to be coming a problem yeah, yeah. now to no, do this? My, is this going to be called critical race theory if we do these programs? My understanding is the objection to this is that it makes little white boys and little white girls feel bad about their history. Well, what it was, they was this group called the Parents Defending Education. They did a poll. And they claim that some schools were teaching that white people are inherently privileged, while black and other people are inherently oppressed and victimized. Which is the truth in America. Well, yeah. That achieving racial justice and equality between racial groups requires discriminating against people based on their whiteness, and that the United States was founded on racism. No. See, Jeff that's, Bezos. But that's the, that's the message that's going out there. That's exactly the message that people are hearing out there. I'm not because a, no one's challenging the message or allowing anyone to challenge the message. We're back to my uh, my, my my anger and frustration with the Democrats. Right. Well, yeah, that's a whole other story. I know. Please, please. Like I said, they're the Social Democrats of the 1930s Germany. Please. 
I don't I, you know, that reference is over my head and you wave it off with the palm of your hand. Like the Social Democrats were the dominant party in Germany that in the 1920s and 30s. But eventually the Nazi party rose and the Social Democrats thought that, hey, through compromise, we can work we with can them and work stuff. We can work with these guys, like give them the benefit of the doubt. It didn't happen. They basically yeah. ran roughshod over the Social Democrats. I fell asleep to a podcast about this. Okay. Well, that's far so that's why I call them the Social Democrats of 1930s Germany, because that's what they're looking like right okay. now. But anyway, back to this whole critical race theory. In September 2020, after seeing a Fox News piece about it, in which some activists denounced oh, CRT, Jesus. as it's called now, Trump, who was president then, issued an executive order directing agencies of the United States federal government to cancel funding for programs that mention white privilege or critical race theory on the basis that it constituted divisive un-American propaganda and that it was racist. And then he also announced the formation of the 1776 Commission to promote patriotic education. Oh, my God. Fortunately, both of those orders were rescinded by Joe Biden when he became president. Are they still saying the Pledge of Allegiance every morning in class? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but I don't, I, that's a whole other issue. As of December 2021... 13 states had already passed laws that would inhibit teaching any race theory in schools, universities, or state agencies by teachers, employers, or contractors. Penalties vary, but they include loss of funding for schools and can even result in firing in some of the cases. These laws are basically designed to protect a vision of America's past and how previous generations were taught about American history. The problem is some of these laws are so vague that they probably violate the First Amendment. But now teachers have to worry about any content they teach that could possibly violate these new laws and directives. First of all, so can they teach? Well, can they teach about the three fifths compromise in the Constitution? Can they teach about the Dred Scott decision? Can they teach about Reconstruction? Can they teach about the Civil Rights Movement? I know they can't teach about Reconstruction. I saw that somewhere and was horrified. I, I don't know how you can teach American history without Dred Scott. My question is: Are there not syllabi? established by each locality who has power over such public school syllabi, where you will teach this in 8th grade. Right. You will teach this in 10th grade. Yeah. So, is that not always laid out? Are these rogue teachers who are going, you know what? Her name was... She sat in the back of the bus and uh, the underground railroad. Uh, you know, uh, are they just throwing it out there hoping it sticks against the sil- syllabus? What is going on? This is akin to, I would say, the 50s and 60s when teachers are being accused of teaching communism and socialism or advocating either one of those philosophies. And this is like the same kind of reaction. Anything involving race and history is now going to be called critical race theory. I don't understand what that means, though. But go ahead. Basically, what it is, it's ex- it's an examination. I, do, I, I want you. But you're to asking me, and I'm trying to give I'm you not, an answer. I'm not asking you. I'm thinking out loud. I want you to continue with the thought you were on, which I'm sure I now just blew up. Yeah, you did. Now I have no idea where I was going to fucking say. Yeah, yeah. But I was trying to answer your question. That happened. Jesus Christ. You try to do something good. Well, now I move on. I'm moving on to our next question. Okay. Your next question is, today we hear loudly... Wait, you didn't answer Sheila's question. What would you like the answer to be? I don't know what the answer is. It's your answer. What do you think the answer to Sheila's question is? No to both. Go ahead. So we agree. Okay. Yeah, it's no to both. No to both. Okay. Her second question... Today, we hear loudly the political voices of the left and right, parentheses, Democrats and Republicans, close parentheses. Where are the voices of the independent parties? That's an excellent question. I don't know why she thinks we could answer that. Well, I tried to. 
Just to let you know, there are plenty of independent parties out there. In the last, in the 2020 election, there were presidential candidates from the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, the Socialism and Liberation Party, the Alliance Party, the Constitution Party, uh, and American Solidarity Party. So there are plenty of, there are also other parties that are around. There's the Natural Law Party, the Women's Equality Party, the Pirate Party, the Marijuana Party. There are many, many independent parties out there. But the problem is most of these parties lack the, both the numbers and the resources, i.e. money, to be considered serious challenges to the current two-party system. It also doesn't help that the main that corporations basically have consolidated and control mainstream news media. There really is not much independent news media anymore. Right. I agree. You know? There's not any of that anymore. Well, there is the BBC. What's that? The BBC. That's mainstream. That's, that's, that's a government news station. Yeah, but it's not our government. No, it's, it's the UK. It's an outside look. Okay. And also, not only that, but for many of these parties to be able to compete with these two parties and be placed on the ballot, invited to debates, they have to meet all these legal requirements and voting requirements. Like, you have to have a certain percentage on the last election to be in order to be considered. And, of course, these are all rules and laws that are promulgated by the two, the two dominant parties. Right, 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 of course. And while the Internet provides an avenue of communication for these independent voices, the size of the Internet and all the everyone else speaking on it just diffuses any message that they're trying to get out there. Uh, I have a couple of observations, if I can remember them, and it doesn't upset you too much. Gracie Allen ran for president on the surprise party. Robert Anton Wilson ran on the Guns and Dope party. Well, just let that say. You're going to ruin my Gracie Allen reference by fucking... Yes, I am. Okay. I don't know. You know, that is that is a question, I think, despite you, whose answer is above our pay grade. I understand. I understand the frustration of needing to ask the question, but why is it only the two extremes? They're the loudest. They have the most money, but there is absolutely no reason why there is not a middle of the road pack with a voice. There's no. Be- there's no because look at how many third party candidates. Okay, hold on. So now my my apologies to Sheila because I think I'm coming up with a with a reason is because emotion means money. If you can make somebody angry enough or scared enough or upset enough, they could donate money to the person who says they're going to protect them right. from those things. And that was what Donald Trump did. Right. That's what fast does. Okay. I'm done. You're done. I think so far, so far. Okay. I'm still sort of walking on eggshells. What's next? We now move on to our next segment, which is... We like to watch. We like to watch. Have you watched anything new in the past week, Tomas? Uh, well, it's three weeks. Um, there, uh, I watched I'm a Killer. What's that? Uh, it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. And it's, it's people who have killed and are... Telling their stories from prison. Okay. And then the production sort of does some investigation on the... And there's always some sort of twist, and it's always... Okay. Uh, yeah, but it's full of shit like that, and full of yeah, buts. Are these just like ordinary yeah, murderers? Just, yeah, like... Uh, What's your I killed continuing my interest in all these murderers? I don't know the answer to that. 
I'm a middle-aged white now woman. You, you're spiraling now from the serial killer route. I've covered the serial killer. And now killer. you're on to the common criminal route I here. feel confident about this. Like, if you give me a Quizlet exam about the fucking serial killers, I think, although, God, <laughs> there's so many. There's yes, there just, are. There's so many. Yes, but, there are. But I think I got I think I got a handle on the top five, type ten. Okay. Yeah, there was that that I watched. I watched Being the Ricardos. Oh, you finally watched that. Okay. I did. And what did you think of it? Not much. Really? And I had the opposite reaction to it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think if people went into it looking for a biography and for impersonations, they went in there with a wrong attitude. No. This was going to be a dramatization of a fictional week based on true events, but basically compressed them into this week's time period. So I knew going into it, yes, this is not going to be the Lucy and Desi story. I'm not looking for necessarily historical bullets to be hit. Right. I did not like the way she played Lucy. Oh, you really? You didn't? I really did You're the second person? Like the I way, know who said that. I do not like the way she Ernie would agree Lucy. with you. Ernie didn't, I, like him, didn't like it either. I'm sorry. I'm a big fan of Nicole Kidman. I liked her since she was a redhead. Okay. <clears throat> I Ooh, don't. that was pretty. I don't like the way she played Lucy. Okay, I I enjoyed it. I thought she went more, I think she went out of her way to show the more business serious side of Lucy, a side that the public really did not see, you know, that this was a strong businesswoman, yes. you know, and her show, I mean, she did things like the whole, that's one of the issues they cover was the whole thing about her being pregnant, incorporating that into the show storyline. Fuck, putting Desi in. What do you mean? Putting that, insisting on Desi. That alone. Having a Cuban man as a lead on your show. Not only that, but the title lead, because who loves Lucy? The Cuban guy. Desi loves Lucy. Yep. Yeah. I don't love Lucy. I don't love fucking Lucy. So, I, I, usually I have quibbles with Aaron Sorkin taking liberties, but I knew the way he had written this, I was fine with what he did. And I, like I said, And I had no problem with Nicole Kidman's portrayal of Lucy. I keep forgetting that. I know there are people saying, oh, it should have been Deborah Messing. But then I think you would have gotten more towards impersonation then. And I don't think you would have gotten the depths of acting that Nicole Kidman reaches. No offense to Deborah Messing, but I think Nicole Kidman's a stronger actress. I think that Nicole, in this particular instance, Nicole Kidman reaches deeper because she is not the expected casted choice. So by virtue of the fact that she's unexpected, you're going to pay a slightly more attention. I mean, if you were doing a reenactment of an I Love Lucy episode, yeah, I'd cast Deborah Messing over Nicole Kidman mm. in a heartbeat. They didn't do anything to you hide know? things like the costumes or the fucking set. What do you mean? Like, when when are we supposed to judge them for accuracy and 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 not being an impersonation? Right. And when do we say, okay, well, that was an impersonation, that was an impersonation, but that doesn't count for the whole... But that, I don't think any of them were impersonations. I mean, do you think that I think the set was, I think the costume was, I think that I think that a lot of the visuals that you gave us about a television show, which is all visual, was all fucking dead on. I mean, down to the moldings on the walls. So there's 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 a place to question when where does what judgment begin and stop? Okay. When can I judge you for this and when can I can't? Because you know me, I'm judgy. And I want to know the rules. Because I want to judge fairly. But I'm a judge. That's your prerogative. I'm grumpy, old, and gay. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Well, what else you got? 
I only watched one new show because I was busy in rehearsals. You, you had Tech Week. Yeah, but we started watching it this past uh, Sunday, I guess it was. We watched like three episodes of it. It's a show called Station Eleven on HBO Max. Sounds science-y. It's, it's not really. It's basically the story of these various people, both before and 12 years after... A flu pandemic wipes out most of the Earth's population. Oh, shit. And it sounds like a really bleak, depressing... It's really... It's not a depressing story at all. It's... I read the original novel that it was based on, which which came out, like, in 2014, I think. Ocean's Eleven? What is this called? It's called Station Eleven. Station Eleven. It sounds Antarctic-y. No, it's not, though. It all takes place... In the area of Chicago and oh. Great Lakes area. And it basically centers on, as I said, half the time you're seeing the before stories of their lives before the pandemic. And then you're seeing their stories 12 years after. So what, what is the station? Station 11 is actually the title of this graphic novel that this one character got when she was a child from this actor who died on stage the day this pandemic started. Okay. And the pandemic like wipes people out like that. I'm wondering if the if a title should make you work that hard, but go ahead. But that's the premise of it. So okay. you're following that little girl storyline, you're following the actor's storyline right. gave it to her. You're following the storyline of the artist who wrote the book. The mega storyline of the, the community. The artist dying. has a, the art the book opens when the actor has a heart attack on stage and no one's reacting but this one man who basically says in the TV show you know, he saw enough medical shows that he recognized this man was having a heart attack. That's funny. And he ends up getting the taking this little girl home because her parents don't show up, and everything ensues that it's the pandemic starting. My eyebrows raised. Okay. Actually, that's not what happened. No, all. it's nothing perverted or my anything eyebrows like that. No, it's nothing like that at all. My back straightened. No, 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 it's nothing like that at all. Where were her parents? They end up being dead. They and that's done. why they didn't pick her up? For some reason, they didn't pick her up because usually this handler from the theater did it. Okay, and so she didn't because she went to the hospital with the actor who had the heart attack. Was the little girl in the show? Yes, she was an actress in the show. She was an actress in the show, so she went with the old man when he had a heart attack, and her parents didn't pick her up because they were dead or dying. Well, if we don't, we, at the time, we found out later that they were dead or dying. But yeah, they, 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 they weren't supposed to pick her up. They weren't, she was supposed to be brought home. So, so what I And when she got home, there was no one there. So, this man then brings her back to his home. She went home alone. Yeah. Did he accompany her home? He accompanied her home. Like a gentleman. Yep. All the way from the theater, he accompanied her home. I mean, she got home and she realized, hey, nobody here. There's no one there. She had no way of getting in. So, he ends up taking her home. Oh, she couldn't even get in. But in the meantime, he gets a call from his sister, who's a nurse in a hospital, saying, barricade yourself in. There's this flu. It's killing people. It's that bad. That, so he ends up barricading himself. Of course, it's fiction. It's a fucking movie. It's a I'm TV being show. sarcastic My God. over here. Jeez. 2020, I'm leaving the house with gloves. Ugh. Wow. Interesting. Asians 11. Uh, Station, Station 11. 11. Like I said, most of its stories now, the after story centers around this group of traveling performers called the uh, the Traveling Symphony. We open in fairness. Read next page. All right. So, but it's a good series so far. Sorry, we're three episodes in and we're really enjoying it. You know, so a troop it. of traveling players figures largely into Hamlet. Yes, I know. In well, they, fact, they actually perform mostly Shakespeare. 
Hamlet's speech to the actors. Yes. I used to have written on a card in my wallet. It's a great speech. It's a great speech. Not too many actors actually listen to it. Of course not. They don't take it as advice. No, they don't. They just think, oh, it's some Shakespeare. Yeah, I I have to memorize it. Was that (laughs) ten syllables? Right. We now move on to our last segment, Five Fades. Five Fades. I love this one. And today I picked a category I thought would be right up your alley. I'm so glad you did because I, I've been out for two weeks. So yes, I, I, I know. I, so I, I figure I will give you a, a one that you should have my way no in. problem seeing your Five Fades. I, I'm ready for this. And today's category is your five favorite performers in drag. I'm ready. Well, who's, who's the first one you want to name? Divine. Divine, very good, very good choice. Divine, yeah, yeah. She said it. She like, yeah. She wasn't the first. She wasn't the best. She wasn't the only. She was divine. Yep, good and choice. She, she was awesome. She's great. Great documentary on her about her on Netflix too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I'm real? Continue. Okay. Well, What's my yours? my my first choice, not a traditional drag performer. It was a comedian named Flip Wilson. Oh God. Who had this character named Geraldine? Can I tell you the truth? What? Last night was when I was going to bed after... No, the text today was the nap... Okay, so instead, I wanted to make a stipulation about this topic and put Bugs Bunny at the top as an agreed-upon yes, icon. that's an emeritus one. Okay. I, we're trying to go for actual people in this okay. one. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But Bugs Bunny... Yes. Okay. And you agree with that? Yes, I okay, do. Fine. <laughs> so who are you talking about? Some, some. I picked Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson. Jesus. I Joe grew up Dean. on Flip Wilson for, in drag. To me, was like for an earlier generation, Mil- Uncle Milty, Milton Burrow, right. when he did drag. Well, then it was the very <clears throat> fact that a man was in a dress was funny. Yep. He didn't have to do anything, say anything, sing anything, dance anything, be anything. He had to be a man in a dress, hysterical laughing. Yeah. And Flip Wilson, he was what was great was he had guest stars on, and he'd be in drag. Like, there's an episode with him and Muhammad Ali, which is very, very funny. That's yeah, it's hysterical. They have this whole and Flip Wilson's just having a great, great time. That's hysterical. Yeah. So yeah, so Flip Wilson, I had to name him. Well, that's the power list. of drag. Yeah, it let he didn't have to be Flip Wilson. He was Eugenia. What yeah. Was Geraldine. 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 Yes. He got to be Geraldine, and Geraldine's going to flirt with. What you see is what you get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just well, saying, what, what I, the wait, devil made me do it. Exactly. <laughs> drag made me do it. I didn't really get down on my knees and suck off Muhammad Ali. It was the drag. It was the blue chiffon. <laughs> but it's the power of what drag does to people. Yep. So who's next on your list? Well, who did I say? I said, okay, so the next You said two, divine. I said divine. The next two kind of come as a pair, but I'm going to separate them and say RuPaul. Okay, fair enough. I figured that she was going to be on the list. Uh, iconography. Okay, fair uh, everything, enough. Everything about her, uh, everything about RuPaul is iconography. She she stands out because I, what I was going to say is, in reflecting upon my five faves, I noticed that the the commonality among all of them is that they all maintain some sort of signature look that makes it. I can identify that that's that queen by the because. From challenge to challenge during the drag, you know, they change their hair, they change their size, they change their shit. So uh, all of the ones I'm talking about have happened. Maybe it's not by happenstance. Yeah. I didn't choose them because they have a signature look, but they all do have a signature look. Yes, they do. RuPaul stands out against this, aside from the fact that it's a six-foot-eight drag queen. 
her hair color always changes. Yep. Her taste changes. Yeah. But yeah, no, RuPaul, RuPaul, what RuPaul has done, could you imagine? She's revolutionized. Jesus Christ. The, you know, the drag industry, no, really, uh, you know? The fact that drag can be an industry. Right? It's, that's that's all to her credit. It goes. It's a cellular thing, right? What it's all to her credit. Thing. Now she's standing on shoulders, like Flo oh, of Brooke. course, of course, like of the ones who came before. Yeah. There are so many, and Bruno probably mentioned a few of them on our list here. No, probably not because I'm going all modern now. But oh, yeah. see, I I I varied mine. No, I varied mine. Not you're not surprised by that, okay, of course. Yeah. So I guess so, next yeah. on my list it then is who. Dame Edna. Oh, God. I wish I had remembered or thought about Dame Edna. <laughs> oh, my God. I had the privilege of seeing Dame Edna not once, but twice on Bar- Broadway. Barry. Two different shows. His name is Barry. Barry Humphreys, which, I think I believe yes, his name which is. which is what I like about him, is that we have a concept of his male... Like, he... We have yes. a concept of, of him putting it on, being an artist. Uh, we, we know him as a boy. Yeah. Is what I mean. That I wish I would have thought of Dame Edna. Edna. Oh my god, fantastic show live! Uh, Just I bet. Thoroughly entertaining. Talk about somebody who feeds off a laugh. Oh my god, nobody sees the same show. Right, they don't laugh at the same spot. She's, if you get a chance, look on YouTube. There are uh, so many clips oh of her of uh, doing. I think she had her own show for a while too. Maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. know. I don't, but speaking of looking online, I, in researching the, the 30 seconds that I was pooping and researched this this, uh, <laughs> this topic, topic. tonight, I, what I thought of was favorite drag and I thought favorite drag moments and my favorite drag moment was definitely a drag God, I, I'm going to not remember her name and I can't do that so I'm going to look it up. But I'm going to tell you the joke. They She was on Drag Race and she had to do they had to sell they had to sell a soda. So they had to market, name, and sell. Oh a no, soda. that must have been great. Okay, so she creates and markets sweet tooth. Oh god. Okay, T O O F, sweet tooth, and in the creating of the ad for it, she said that her opening line was, "Is your blood sugar low?" <laughs> and to me, the way she delivered it and the way it was iconic oh to me. God. Is your blood sugar, sugar low? low? Anyway, the drag queen was Simone. Oh, great. And I'm only throwing it in because you mentioned something that made me think that I could sneak it in as a sixth choice. But that is your blood sugar low. Oh. That that stays with me, and I never don't laugh. And you can look it up on YouTube. There was the connection. Okay. Drag it on YouTube. Simone. Simone. Is your blood Good choice. Sugar low. My fourth choice. Fourth? I'm not even delivered my third yet. Oh, wait, did I do my third? Oh, no, I, I haven't I, done my third. I thought you just did. I thought Simone was your third. No, Simone was an was an adjunct sort of offside story. Oh, okay. That was like Can talking about online. Topic, yeah, then. no, it's not gonna happen. Okay, third, Lady Bunny. Ah, okay, Fucking good choice. Killer. Founder of Wig Wigstock. Fucking killer. Right. Everything about that mess is just. I love Lady. I love. Uh, it, and this is the combination was the Lady Bunny RuPaul combination because they're so connected in my head they're so connected but uh, yeah Lady Bunny Lady Bunny <laughs> Lady Bunny she speaks to me well, my third choice is a local drag queen also oh that is probably more local to me than uh, the New York City for your uh, for Lady Bunny I chose Delphina oh my God remember <gasps> Delphina remember Delphina she did the most incredible Bette Midler. That's routine. right. She was fantastic and That's funny as hell. Right. And one night, I had a benefit for our AIDS care fundraiser, 
this is years ago, back in the 90s, I think we're late 90s we're talking about, I got very, very drunk and drank champagne out of her shoe. You did not, that's disgusting. <laughs> I did. Yes, Delphina. I did. Delphina as Bette Midler, yeah. That whole peachy. I had to name a local drag queen on this I, list, you, know, you know, and I was thinking... Because I've seen so many, and so many are just so damn good. It's, I was thinking Jesse Volt. Uh, another one I considered also. Uh, but Jesse Volt was iconic. But he always got violent, too. Yeah, well, that Jesus. was his thing. Oh, my God, throwing chairs. And, yeah. Oh, oh she, she hit people. I know. Spilled drinks, pulled out cigarettes from people's mouths, stamped them out. Yeah, no, Jesse was rough, but she was iconic. Um, peaches... Who I think died. Oh yeah, Peaches. Yeah, Peaches is long gone. Uh, yeah. Delphina. I always felt Delphina. like Delphina. I don't know what happened, Delphina. I don't Delphina know to me. Oh, it always felt like she was the up and coming ugly stepsister. Like <laughs> the Jesse Volt crowd sort of tolerated Delphina when they needed to fill a spot in a show. But she was so good. Oh, she was good. She was so so good. Delphina. That's a that's an that's an awesome choice. Yes, but, I thought so too. There are probably seven people in the world. Who know who Delphina who is? Who would know that? And none of them have downloaded this podcast. Nope, so I know. So the 800 of you in India, and India guy. <laughs> India guy. Who's your fourth choice, Tomas? Uh, Coco Peru. Coco Peru. Fuck me, Coco Peru. <laughs> it burns. That's all I need. She'll always be famous for that line. And you know what? For those what? of you who don't know, uh, there's a movie called Trick. Trick. About these two guys who meet on a subway and try throughout the night to find a place to have sex and the various misadventures that happen. And they come across at a club, They one of them comes across Miss Coco Peru and she has this five minute scene in the movie that is fabulous. He, she, Coco Peru locks Gabriel, who's the nice, you know, like white Jewish boy, well, locks him in the bathroom. Gabriel. Is it like below Gabriel? And she has this fantastic monologue where she describes her encounter with the boy that Gabriel is trying to hook up with. And the highlight of it is the end. And it has everything to do with things like lighting and camera angle and <laughs> her ability to create Bette Midler at her most insane with just her eyelashes. And the boy is this adorable... It's Christian Campbell. Uh, okay. Uh, and, like she comes out and she introduces sentences with phrases like, so I'm licking his balls. And anyway, <laughs> but the end of it is it burns. And it is the most, to me, the most iconic moment of, of a homo cinema yeah. ever put on it, film. It's a great, it's a great moment. But she also does this, like her, her YouTube channel. Yeah. She's fucking funny, man. Oh, I'm sure. She does this You're thing right. where like, like she goes shopping and it's just her in full drag in the middle of LA Going into CVS and complain, fucking hilarious. And the um, the Panettone. Okay. So, uh, there's actually this was the first Christmas I saw a Panettone with her face on it. Oh, like man. she has gone off about the Panettone and and has the, they've been the perfect gift and they you can give it to anybody and it's it's good cake and <laughs> and they're off on the Panettone and I think one of the companies. Branded a panettone with her face this Christmas. Oh and I'm sorry I didn't eat the fuck out of that cake. <laughs> What's your fourth choice? My fourth choice actually starred in a movie with Coco Peru. Oh. Called Girls Will Be Girls. I don't know this you movie. You don't know this movie? I don't know this movie. It's a takeoff on Valley of the Dolls. Oh, Jesus. And it's a riot. Gays with drugs? 
Drag queens with drugs? Yeah. Or, or, like, there's a surprise here? Yeah, it's great. You okay. have to see it. I okay. actually own it, so we can watch it oh, one okay. night. Okay. But I'm referring to Varla Jean Merman. Oh, my God. <laughs> Miss Whipped Cream herself. Varla Jean. I actually saw her live uh, at Mardi Gras, New Orleans. There was this whole costume contest that won in, in the gay section in uh, Fjord Street, it was. But and she was presiding as the she was the hostess of ceremonies. Okay. Fucking hysterical. Oh my god. Oh my god, this woman is a riot. Yeah. She's uh if he, she still performs, she's great. If you ever get a chance to see her, definitely see her. Oh my and as I said, this movie Girls Will Be Girls, it's a riot. That's funny. it's raunchy and funny and oh my god, it's great. Varla Jean deserves it just for the name, the references genius. Right? It, every, yeah. yeah, everything. That's the, the, the Oh, are you having a stroke? I might be. <laughs> 16 episodes ago. Of what? This. Yeah. Roughly. Uh-huh. We, I went into a tangent that you probably cut. Probably. About drag names. Okay. And about my drag name. Yes. And I, I couldn't remember the drag name. I have three go-to drag names. <laughs> okay. And I couldn't remember the name of the other one. Well, so I have antihistamine. I have gingivitis, which is the name I use on the RuPaul Drag Race game on my iPhone. And the other one I couldn't remember. It's because it's really too smart for me. It's <coughs> Miss Anthrope. <laughs> so that's just what I'm saying. So now I'm, I feel like I've finished a circle from an earlier episode. I couldn't come up with the name. The people listening don't know about it because Stephen cut the shit. So, but it was Miss Anthrope. Well, I just, I, there was a formula years ago of what your drag name is. Like, there's always a, if- and the formula was. If your first name was the name of your female dog or pet, whatever. Right. And your the second name you. was your street name mm. that you grew up on. So mine was Sandy Juniper. Oh, you're dead. Sandy Juniper. <laughs> I like Juniper. But what I always said, if, I'm, if I ever did drag, I'd want to be Mona, the bitch with an itch. <laughs> oh, God. Because <laughs> I, I am ugly in drag. I, I am that- not pretty in drag. Well, that's how I got gingivitis. But, uh, like, how does a name come with a smell? <laughs> that was awful. Mona, the bitch with an itch. That's awful. Can we, can we, can we Back on to our fifth topic. Yes, our fifth choice. My, uh, my fifth choice, uh, Bianca Del Rio. Ooh, okay. Well, I love Bianca Del Rio. That bitch. First of all, as a boy, she's nerdy hot. You know, she's that, that, that sort of Latinx, Latino, Latin. She's brutally funny in a, who was the insult comedian from back in the day? Don Rickles. And with that sort of attitude. Okay. Uh, very fast, a distinctive makeup look. So Coco Peru's distinctive look is the hair. Yes. The wig is always the same. It's fantastic. Bianca does her eyes in a very specific way. Okay. Um, and she, you can always tell Bianca. She's, it's like the the eyelashes. I love that bitch. She's so funny. <laughs> she's so mean. And and she's, you know what it is? She's like me. She she sort of has a soft spot. But in order for you to see that soft spot, you must go through the trial of the Titans. Right. You know what I mean to, to get to it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I, I happen to enjoy her a lot, and I'm, I'm sure she's hot as fuck. Right. And she is hot as fuck. She's got everything going for her, including that nerd thing. Yeah. Um, and I bet she's just delicious. I'm sure she is. Bianca Del Rio, I love you, girl. Good choice. I love you, girl. 
Who's your fifth choice? My fifth choice comes from the theater world. Oh, it's Harvey? No. Oh, it's... Charles Bush. Charles Bush. I adore Charles Bush. He's so, like, part of the ether. Like, you don't, you almost don't even recognize that he's a separate entity. For those who don't know, Charles Bush, he's not a drag queen. He is an actor and playwright whose plays are mostly famous for recreating or being parodies of classic films from the 1940s, and usually in which he plays the female lead. And he is absolutely fantastic playing yeah. all these various women. One of the first, I think the first play he wrote was Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. I think that was the very first one he did that he I did had down, t- in, down in the village. I, was, the I was in high school and I had, I had tickets for that show and there was a storm. Oh, oh no. And I didn't get to see it, but. Uh, I've yeah. never, I, I've never seen Bush on stage. I've seen him in film, like in Die, Mommy, Die, which is a film adaptation of his play. And it's great. And he actually made a movie, I think, last year. I can't think of the name, but I got I got to look for it. He did make a movie in the past year, which he does he does drag in the movie. Um, if, if Charles Bush appears, does he not have to be in drag? Well, he's done plays where he has not appeared in drag. As Charles Bush? Uh, there was a play called How Lucky Can You Get, I think. Interesting. Yeah. Because he's so iconic. Yeah, he is. He really is. And he does these great women. I've had the pleasure of directing a few of his plays. I directed... Red Scare on Sunset, which is one of my all-time favorites. I directed uh, Our Leading Lady about the Lincoln assassination. To me, that's the concept, Our Leading Lady. Red Scare on Sunset, you can see where he got that from. And and Our Leading Lady was one of the few plays he did not write a drag role for. He did not star in that play. Kate Nelligan was the lead. She played the lead in that play. Okay. uh, Played on Broadway or off-Broadway. But there's no... You don't really need to create that material. Red Scare on Sunset. Right. What do you mean you don't need to create it? The way you had to create the conversations and the things that happened with the actors who were on stage the night Lincoln got shot. Right. Like, to me, that's a fucking leap. Yes. Right? You got to take You got to take a leap there uh, that you don't have to take when you do the other thing. Yeah. Uh, and I love I loved that idea. What a great idea. I was so mad. He was, he, this past December... He was doing a uh, stage reading of his play, A Times Square Angel. Don't it's, know. It's, it's a parody of the 40s Christmas movies. Oh, great. Yeah. And I tried to get tickets sold out like yeah, that. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. Son of a bitch. He's an icon, bitch. But I've actually thing. had the pleasure of corresponding with Charles Did Bush. you really? I wrote to him when I first did Red Scare on Sunset. I actually invited him to come see the of play. Of course you did. You know, I had to, because he lives in New York City. Who, how can I not? He's I, doing I his resist. play. You're one of three people who were doing this play this year. And then I wrote, I had a question after our leading lady, because of an experience that uh, Sheila Barksdale had. Sheila, Sheila has oh, a question. Sheila has a question. Sheila played the lead actress's maid. Right. And Sheila is a black woman. The joke of the play is, is that she's passing herself off as Chinese. That and her her employer, the actress, tells everyone she's Chinese. What are you gonna leave her alone and stuff? Right, right, right. And everyone accepts that she's Chinese. She's not black. She's and she Chinese. eventually does come out. So I guess some black people who saw the show weren't thrilled with this character. So I wrote to Charles Bush. I'm like, did you ever have any pushback? Pushback about that character? He's like, no, not at all. I don't understand. He goes. First of all, it's a work of fiction. Right, it's ridiculous. You know, it's ridiculous, the whole situation. Yeah. So he was like, he was very surprised when I had that situation, and he wished me luck on the production and everything. You know what's funny? Very nice, but I always follow, I follow him on Facebook. 
Anyway, that's the end of our five faves. It sure felt like it. <laughs> like a stone in a lake. And this now brings us to the conclusion of our show. I, yes, I know. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, we will be back next weekend, next week on January 25th, recording a new episode. January 25th. I in the meantime, I will be in the play, see how they run at the Manus Studio Theater in Lindenhurst all weekend. On Long Island. And is. in fact, you can see me and Tommy at the theater because Tommy will be bartending there. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe. You know, no, yeah, that's no, not I'm going to be there. That's okay, of course my, you're going to be there. my fucking job. I know, right? All right. So, And who else? What else happens this week exciting on Wellwood Avenue with Lyndon Hurst? Well, my husband will be starring, well, not starring, but he's a member of the cast of Murder on the Orient Express at South Shore Theater Experience, he, also on Wellwood Avenue in Lindenhurst. He plays the Orient Express. <laughs> yes, he's the train. He's a train. <laughs> yes. He's a train. He's just a locomotive. Yes. <laughs> Moving quickly, directly, <laughs> and without excuse. But yes, they'll be opening this Friday. So Good luck to them. They're running for the next two weekends. Good luck, Debbie and Cast and Stephen and all of them. All of them. All of them. And, um, well, you know where to find us, so I'm not going to be bothered with listening to all the podcast providers. You know, you obviously have found us, so we don't have to tell you, look for us here anymore. Tell your friends. But I will tell you to go to our website, especially with each episode we post. We also post on our blog a uh, supplement of bonus material to illustrate some of the things that we've been talking about. Bonus material. We're also on Facebook, and we are on Twitter. And on that note, we bid you a good night and a good week, and we'll see you soon. Bye, bitches.